With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone. This is a D-Rays Bay podcast special. As you guys have probably noticed, we've put together a little series here leading up to opening day 2021. Last week, we talked to Rays general manager Eric Neander, as well as MLB.com beat writer for the Tampa Bay Rays, Adam Barry. And this week, we have the host of This Week in Rays Baseball, the host of the Rays pre- and post-game shows on the Rays radio network, Neil Solons. I'll be joined by Darby Robinson in just a second. And with it being a really weird spring training this year, limited access for a lot of media, Neil has a lot more access than most. So we wanted to kind of talk to him about his perspective on spring camp and what he's expecting going into the 2021 season. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Neil Solons. Neil, I've, I've asked everybody else that I've had on the podcast during spring training because, you know, we're, we're so excited that baseball's back, but then we get to this point where we're really ready for opening day. But when spring training's going on, like, what is your favorite part of spring training? Um, favorite part of spring training or favorite part of this spring training? You know, I, I think probably this spring training, it was Brent Honeywell pitching in a game again. Um, and, and I probably would guess that anybody who's a fan of the race would hopefully feel the same way. I mean, I, I don't know if you're not human, if you don't feel some excitement about Brent pitching in a game and all he's gone through in three plus years with four procedures and how well regarded he was and how positive he stayed and, and how his teammates reacted to it. I think that was the beauty of it all. You know, uh, he pitches in a live batting practice and they all come out to watch him um, to show their support. And you see so many players not playing in the game who went just to watch him pitch 15 pitches in one inning in a game. And the fact that the Rays, after they optioned him, put him in a big league spring training game is very rare too. So, I mean, this year, that was my favorite moment. Normally, um, you know, spring training is still very different. And for me, the best part about spring training is getting to truly know the guys on a individual basis. You know, I would spend countless period of, of the time that we're allotted at lockers of non on roster players of rostered players that are new just to get to know them and know their story and be able to tell their story. And obviously in a COVID world, um, 99.9% of what we do is over, you know, group zoom. And so that's a lot different. So it involves, you know, kind of altering how you do things, but, um, you know, hopefully in years to come, it will, we'll get back to, to that. And at the same time, you know, hopefully continuing to just get to know the players a little bit as we go and, and be able to just tell their stories. It, I, I like what you said. That was my answer too initially about spring training because once the regular season starts, it's not that we don't care about their personal lives is we don't have time to hear about the, those stories about what they did in the off season. How many push-ups was Randy Rosarena uh, doing while he was in quarantine and some really interesting like personal stuff that we get to learn about these guys during the spring. Going back to Brent Honeywell though, Initially, we had heard he wasn't going to pitch in a game. He had been throwing <laughs> on the backfields. Do you know what changed there? Is that something he asked for? Uh, he definitely did ask for it. Um, and I think Kyle Snyder helped push for it. You know, I think Brent had said that um, after he had pitched. Um, and, and I think just the feeling of facing someone with another jersey is probably like another step in the journey. And feeling like, okay, now I've, now I've gone to this point. Because without the minor league season starting on time, you know, and, and most of the teams having their alternate site somewhere else, you know, like whether it's the Orioles, I think is, is what up in the, are they going to be up in the Bowie area, the Yankees in Scranton? I'm not quite sure where everyone is stationing their groups. But probably very few teams were going to be in Florida. So it, it's not like you could have 
uh, like you would in, in minor league spring training where the Rays are facing the Twins or the Red Sox one day and just bouncing around and, and facing those guys, you don't have that opportunity. So I think for him now to face somebody other than a Rays jersey meant a lot to him. So, um, and, and I, I love the way he threw the ball, how committed he was to the strike zone. And even when he missed, how close his pitches were. And, you know, I think everyone's confident um, that at some point this year, he's going to help this team. Do you have a, a sense as to, you know, Durham starts a month after the season starts and obviously that's, you know, where he's going to be there. Is he still a starter? Or are they going to keep him stretched out or are they going to try to um, do a multi-inning role? It's been so long since he's been act. So it's, it's curious to see where he's at. Yeah. You know, I've seen so many different reports about how many innings he'll throw this year. And I've seen 60, I've seen 70, I've seen 90, I've seen hundred. Um, does that mean he begins games and, is an opener for a couple innings at a time or three innings at a time, or does he go one inning at a time for a whole month then go to two innings and then go to three. And then, okay, now he's ready to, you know, help somebody. Maybe he could help the Rays pitching three innings at a time and, and every fifth day or, or two innings, three days off, two innings, three days off, or do they slowly stretch him out to up to four and five innings? And when he's there, he's able to help. I don't know. I, I think a lot is going to depend on how the season goes. I think the one thing that the Rays are good at, I mean, they're good at a lot of things, but one thing they're really good at is being very flexible with their plan. Um, you know, I think they're, I think everyone in this world now has to adjust on the fly going from 60 to 162 games with a, a minor league season that's starting a month later, minor league players who haven't played in games for real games for over a year. Um, you have to have patience and you have to be willing to adjust and you have to have depth. And I think the Rays do have all those things. Breaking news was yesterday, Nick Anderson, um, elbow ligament tear. It's obviously, you know, really bad news for, for Nick and probably going to be out through at least the all-star break. But we know the Rays have the depth to kind of, you know, make up for those innings, replace those innings in the regular season. He was part of that A bullpen, though. Do you think there's a, a candidate that's going to break camp as, as part of that A bullpen? Or do you think Cash and Snyder are going to kind of let it play out as the season goes on? I think it's going to be by committee. And, and I actually was writing um, for our blog just about the, the way that the Rays can overcome this. You know, I, I think, first of all, in context, um, the, the Yankees already have lost Zach Britton probably for a similar amount of time. And the Blue Jays have already lost Kirby Yates for the year. So I, I look at it and say, hey, all three teams have now suffered a loss. And I look at context from last year and think, well, the Rays lost Colin Pochet last year. They lost Jalen Beeks. They lost Andrew Kittredge. They lost Oliver Drake. They lost Chaz Rowe. And at other points, they had Jose Alvarado and Nick Anderson on the injury list. That's seven different relievers. That's almost an entire bullpen. Um, and as great as Nick Anderson has been, and you can put his numbers over 2019 and 2020 regular season up against any reliever in the game. But the total number of innings he's pitched over four months is 38 innings. So that's nine or 10 innings a month, um, nine or 10 appearances a month. Um, those could be made up by other guys taking up one or two extra innings a month in high leverage situations. And I think beyond Diego Castillo and Pete Fairbanks, um, you know, I think Chaz Rowe will get opportunity. Uh, I think Andrew Kittredge will get opportunity. I think Cody Reed will get opportunity. I think Ryan Thompson will get opportunity. Um, and then I, I wouldn't be shocked to see other, you know, Colin McHugh even get some opportunity too, depending on the slots and the situations. And then I think other guys are going to evolve, you know, how, you know, we, you're watching Jeffrey Springs, I see the swings and misses that he gets off his pitches, watching Stetson Alley, a non-roster guy, the swings and misses and the power stuff, if they can harness it and get him in the strike zone. Um, I, I think that there are enough guys that they have in the room that can help make up for it. And, and the way I'm trying to look at it, um, is let's say he misses the better part of, you know, through July, but you get him back August 1 or something of that nature. And now you get him and Oliver Drake back and Brandon McKay comes back. And it's almost like trade acquisitions is the way I'm trying to, you know, think about it in those terms, because I think Peter Gammons wrote it really well that, you know, it's almost like teams are going to have almost two seasons, a first half team and a second half team. And, and, he thought the Rays were well positioned, and I think so too. And I think it's in part because of some of the reinforcements they'll get 
and also the development of the young guys. So um, I think to answer your original question, which was, you know, how do they make up for it and who's going to kind of fill that role? I think they're going to let it play out. Um, I, I think they have a lot of guys. I think they won't match up based on the team they're facing. You know, who, who may match up against the Red Sox may not match up well against the Yankees or may not match up as well against the Rangers or the Marlins. You know, it's going to depend on the situation and also who's available because after two days off in the first eight games of the eight days of the season, you go 13 days without an off day. Um, you know, so you're, you're not going to be able to um, crush guys in the, in the month of April. You got to be understanding and patient. And, and I think, you know, again, they're going to probably carry 14 pitchers early, you know, for, for as long as they can against until like a G Manchoy or Brett Phillips comes back. Um, and, and so in that regard, I think they're going to have enough arms to be able to, you know, find a way through this. You mentioned uh, Jeffrey Springs, at, you know, Kittredge just added to the 40-man roster uh, after Nick Anderson went to the 60-day IL. This has been an interesting debate amongst us, um, and it's still really murky as to who gets the spots because there's it's a good problem to have because there's a lot of guys that absolutely could make the opening day roster. I guess it's probably easier to say at this point, like maybe who do you see is – is going to start in Durham or start not in Durham, but on the uh, backfields and who actually will get that spot. Assuming say G man's, you know, out and we can carry 14. There's a, maybe about two guys that are probably going to be not in a spot. Yeah. And part of that is assuming health um, too, because it means everybody else is going to be healthy these next handful of days. You know, uh, as we, as we, you know, record this, we're talking about Nick Anderson hurt, Brett Phillips hurt, G man Choi hurt. Let's hope you know, you knock on wood that nobody else that you've got to deal with. And then I think some of it comes down to handedness. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rays go a little more right-handed just because you look at the Yankee lineup and other than Aaron Hicks, who switch hits, and Brett Gardner, they're pretty heavily right-handed as they come down to their final roster decisions. I, I'm not, I, if I'm a, if I'm managing against them, I'm much more worried about Aaron Hicks, Glaber Torres, uh, John Carlos Stanton, DJ LeMayhew, et cetera, than I am about Aaron Hicks or Brett Gardner or anyone else on their bench. Um, same with the Red Sox. Yes, Alex Verdugo and French Cordero um, and, and uh, Rafael Devers give them balance. And certainly Devers is, is a guy you're going to worry about no matter what, but they also still have, you know, Jay Martinez um, and Kike Hernandez and Xander Bogarts uh, and Christian Vasquez. Uh, and then even the Marlins, you know, even their roster, and this is the first three series where the first 10 days, you got to keep your roster frozen unless there's an injury. And other than Corey Dickerson, they're predominantly right-handed too. So I, I, if the Rays, I, I don't want to, I, I never like to speculate this player over this player. You know, for me, just in the role I work in, it's, it's, I always find unfair on my part to, you know, as a guy who works for the club to speculate on who's the guy who's going to get sent down. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if they went a little more right-handed than left-handed um, early on. Whether they carry multiple lefties, I'm not sure. Um, I definitely think, you know, um, Cody reads out options and he's pitched great all spring. Not, not good, but his stuff has looked really, really good. And he's back up to 94, 96. So if they have more than one lefty, you know, they've got good guys to choose from. Um, there's no question about that. Uh, that. And that's beyond the starters. Well, starters, bulk, you know, in Rich Hill and Ryan Yarbrough, however they plan to use them in the early portion, which I think is also going to change from series to series, from week to week. G-Man, we knew he was dealing with, with an injury, but then all of a sudden he said he was feeling fine. Is there a chance he makes the roster opening day? I, I think that Kevin Cash said, God, uh, 10, you know, it, during the time where he had got the quarter zone shot and he got two of them, he got two quarter zone shots and basically wasn't on the field at all for 10 days that they are planning to play without. Him. Um, and unless, you know, I mean, there's, as, as we talk, there's four games left um, of spring training. I would assume that he starts the year on the injured list and they allow him to work his way back at his own pace. I, the, the, and, and GMAD spoke through um, his translator, Steve Nam the other day and said, you know, that he, Hopes to be back as soon as he can, but he doesn't have a target date. So is that 
you know, the first homestand? Is that, you know, mid-April? Is it the end of April? When is it? I don't think any of us know. I mean, part of that is the healing process and how quickly you can ramp up to being able to play back-to-back days. You know, I would think that would be valuable because the Rays probably are going to see more right-handed pitching than left. And he's probably going to have to play first base. So he's going to have to get to a position where he can, you know, his, and, 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 and not that playing on the dirt on turf is going to be a major issue for him, but, you know, you still got to be able to play back-to-back days and be able to do that and, um, and be an asset. So, um, you know, I think time will tell. Um, and the challenge is it's not like we can watch his games in Durham in April, you know, he's on the alternate side and, that's behind closed doors. And, and, you know, hopefully he comes along as, as quickly as he can and, and puts up good at best. But in the meantime, I do think the Rays are, are well positioned. I've really liked the at best that Yoshi's had as, as the spring has worn on. Um, I think he's played well at first. Um, I think Yandi can play well enough at first. Um, they both have given really good at bats. You know, I think the lineup is going to be a lot better than, than probably people think on a national level for sure. I think it was a lot better last year than what than what people thought. <laughs> I mean, you know, for two months, I think most people focus on what happened at the end of um, the postseason. And look, you're facing the best teams. Um, they're playing you every day. There's no days off in the series. You don't have time to collect yourself mentally. There's no video to watch, um, you know, during the game. I think that was a big change. Um, you know, I think you're stuck in a bubble and, you know, you're not allowed to even you know, go out and, and, and grab a bite to eat or something of that nature. Um, you know, mentally, I think it was a really tough grind. And then three guys in the lineup, G-Man, Yandi, and, and Austin Meadows are all trying to work their way back from injuries and get in game shape while they're playing in the postseason. Um, I just thought that was far from ideal. Um, and so, you know, I look at the first two months and say they were 12th in the league and run scored with those three guys beat up with Randy playing one month and think, well, if Austin improves, if Yandi does what he's capable of, if G-Man does what he's capable of, I think Yoshi will be better. Um, and the other guys do what they did. And, and other than, you know, Mike Brasso, there probably wasn't anyone who, you know, really stood out as being that far above, you know, maybe what was projected for them. Then, you know, that you can go from, let's say you go from the 12th best offense in the league, which they were for two months, to the ninth best. That means you're a top third of the league offense with the pitching and defense they have. I kind of look at it and go, they're going to win a lot of games. And I don't know what that number will be, but, you know, I, I think that means that they're going to be a really good team again. So you mentioned Austin Meadows. He's looked really good. He's looked healthy in the spring, which is mm-hmm. just markedly different than last year. And everybody, everything of last, last year is sort of a, a big question mark as to how to really judge it because everybody went through so much specifically for Meadows coming into this camp, can you talk about how he's looked, how he's feeling? He seems confident. He seems really healthy. And that's a really dangerous player. He's in good shape, first of all. I mean, it's a it's a vast difference between last year and this year, you know, and now he needs to maintain that. Um, but he definitely, his swing, and I try not to judge the actual results too much um, in spring training. But if you look at some of the home runs, even he's hit, he's turned on fastballs at 96 or 97 miles an hour. And that was something that I don't think he was able to do last year. I mean, he had a tough time being able to turn on fastballs middle and in, um, you know, with authority. And I think part of that, and he acknowledged it, he wasn't in the same physical shape. Um, and, you know, I think for him, this is a, a time where he can show, hey, I had a bad month. And really, that's what last year was. It was a bad month because he only played in 30-something games. Um, And I had a bad month in 2019, and I was a team co-MVP. So I think, you know, especially for a guy like him, I I hope, you know, I think getting off to a good start the first few weeks or first month of the season um, doesn't need to be a 1,000 OPS guy. But, you know, if he's hovering around 800 or something like that and and – having good quality at bats. I think that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the year for him. Um, But I definitely see a player who's much closer look to the guy he was in 2019 than the guy he was last year. And obviously we saw the numbers he put up. Obviously the way the Rays do things, it requires a lot of uh, buy-in from the players. And on the pitching side of things, they went out. uh, Obviously you lose Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. 
but you bring in kind of a whole group of veteran arms, Michael Walker, Rich Hill, Colin McHugh, and then one we were already pretty comfortable with, Chris Archer. From what you've seen in camp, and I know it's difficult, you know, there's no uh, clubhouse access and it's, it's very limited, but do you think there's a, there's been buy-in from those, those veteran guys? I think so. I mean, that's, that's my initial judgment. I mean, I, I think probably one of the most intriguing things about the group that came in is probably Chris Archer because he admitted that he was stubborn and didn't really buy into a lot of the analytics when he was here the first time. Um, and now it, there's a clear delineation and difference. And, you know, he's acknowledged he was humbled by his experience in Pittsburgh. And um, I think the, the commitment that he has shown to the changeup early on, um, you know, and, and I think that the, the other difference is how um, the analytical side has evolved. You know, these guys have that pitching lab where they can throw pitches and get instant feedback on, oh, that felt good and it was good. Okay, now the muscle memory corresponds with how it looked coming out of the hand um, or what it did. And I think that allows him and other guys like Tyler Glass now with his, you know, cutter slash slider to develop new pitches at a faster rate. Um, and I think that also helps build trust. I think the Rays are that nice balance of new school, old school, where they kind of humanize what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it. They build confidence in the player and said, this is what you do well. This is what we want to take advantage of. Um, and I think mentally that helps a player. Um, and I think the fact that Rich Hill said, I came here because I want to win a World Series. Um, and this team, I thought, gave me a chance to do it. And he said that multiple times. You know, and, and said our, our planning, our preparation is about winning a World Series this year, um, you know, is coming in with the right attitude. I mean, Colin McHugh has said, I'll pitch everywhere. And I think he's willing to do that. Um, and I think, you know, I think Michael Walker's last appearance of the spring, they're going to pitch him behind an opener just so he gets one experience in spring training to do that. And Chris Archer did it. And he said, I wanted to do it because I didn't want it to be my first time in the big leagues, because you got to you got to remember in a in a real game, because you got to remember he's over thirty years of age, and a lot of the guys that they're you know playing with the opener stuff, they're younger, their arms are fresher, they're in their twenties, their early twenties, and it's a little bit easier to make that adjustment or variation. And so in this case, I, I do think there's buy-in, and the fact that they're trying things in spring training, you know, to me is a is a positive. Sticking on the pitching side of things, the Rays do. Starter, reliever, it's all sort of in flux. Um, but they brought in two, two of the guys, Rich Hill and McHugh, have sort of done both of those roles before. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of help with that buy-in? Because they are veterans, but they also have sort of seen, they've come through some pretty analytical teams and they are veterans. Is that an added benefit to the team to have guys who have done, or, done it all, who have been very successful, but have said like, oh, hey, I've actually done this. McHugh has won World Series being a swing role. Like that kind of helps buy-in, I would imagine. And how does that kind of, you know, infuse into the clubhouse and the rest of the younger pitching staff they have? Well, let's start with how the opener began in the first place, or at least how the Rays started to use the opener frequently. The buy-in came from the guy who had finished off World Series before in Sergio Romo. So, and, and I think the thought process was, well, if Sergio's doing it and he's pitched this many years in the big leagues, why can't I do it? Um, why shouldn't I do it? You know? So I, I do think there's some thought process to that. And then there's also a history of it working for this team. It gives them the best chance to win. Um, I think clearly, you know, if you follow Kevin Cash and the coaching staff in the front office, their goal is to put guys in the best position to have success. And, and I think there's a feeling, Hey, if, this is where they want me to be positioned. If this is in the field, if this is where, um, you know, I'm best fit in the lineup, if this is where they want me to pitch, I'm going to do it because, you know, I'm guessing they have more information than I do about how to go about um, where I should be. And I just need to go out and just perform and play. And, and I think that helps too, because I, I do think that there's that thought process or attitude of just, you know, just go out and play and, and, you know, be a good teammate and everything else will take care of itself. Is there a player that in spring that even if they're not a person that, you know, could, could contribute to the big league roster anytime soon, is there a, been a, a player, maybe a non-roster invite that has really stood out to you? 
There are probably some non-roster guys that have stood out for their performance, but I don't, you know, it's hard to say who's going to necessarily help because of just how the structure of, you know, the 40 man is, um, how injuries are going to play into this. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Joe Ryan helped this, you know, I, I, I like the way he was throwing the baseball, just like I like the way Luis Patino and Shane McClanahan were throwing the baseball. And, and I wouldn't be shocked to see any of those guys help in the back half. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Stetson Alley suddenly becomes a strike thrower and helps this bullpen out um, in a, you know, in, and he's certainly capable of doing so in a big way. Um, and then obviously, you know, beyond wander on the position player side, you know, I, I definitely have found Tristan Gray to be a really interesting player because the raw power is terrific. Um, he certainly looks like a stronger, more physical guy than the one who was in spring training last year, but he also really hasn't played games in a year. So I try and keep all of that at, at some level of context um, and know that regardless, the Rays are going to have a lot of roster choices that are going to be really intriguing during the course of the year. And they've got to kind of figure out that balance as to, you know, how to use guys, um, you know, over time, you know, and, and I also think a lot of the other righties that they brought in, whether it's, you know, Lewis Head or, you know, Joey Crable or actually, you know what, one, one who would stand out that I think is definitely going to help this group is, is uh, Dietrich Hens. Um, I, I find him as a lefty who can go two, three innings at a pop, maybe even four, who can throw 92 to 95, um, you know, different, but similar in terms of some of the characteristics he possesses to like a Jalen Beeks, probably more cutter heavy than changeup heavy, but fastball cutter. Um, I could see him being a really effective arm for the race and really helping at some point. So I'm kind of curious how that all evolves and develops. Obviously you need a roster spot, but I would not be shocked to see him help as a non-roster guy at some point. Coming to the end of spring training, this is also a time where a lot of guys, I mean, Kittredge before the injury was, he had an opt-out, he renegotiated the opt-out. There's a lot of veteran arms out there with opt-outs as they try to find their spots. Carl Edwards Jr. just opted out. Um, the Rays are always want to make moves. They're never done tinkering. Is there wild speculation that way? But like, do you think they you could see them fitting in it's such a crowded roster as is but do you see like potentially the rays looking at the opt-out field of veteran arms to potentially add somebody they certainly could i mean certainly they've been connected like tony watson opted out with the phillies i saw and you know steve ciszek is not going to make the astros and um you know obviously he has a Rays history but you know i think the one thing that the rays have done is you know i think Anyone that they would add at this point, I would think, A, they think he's a good fit and a compliment to the other guys they currently have in the bullpen. B, he's going to fit in the clubhouse. Um, and C, um, I think he's got to be able to probably, maybe not do more, but do things differently. Than like, like a Nick Anderson probably was only going to be used as a one-inning guy at least the first month, and maybe even well beyond that if you were healthy. And, and I, I, I would think that if they try and add, it would be someone who can get more than three outs. Um, and, and I would also think maybe some level of control. You know, I think like, for instance, when they re-signed Oliver Drake, they still controlled his rights because he's still arbitration eligible next year. So it's a one-year contract, but it's really more than that. Um, and so I would say that they're always gonna look to improve the club. But I think the one-year additions, I mean, you have so many one-year additions already on this team. You know, Waka, McHugh, um, Hill, um, Archer, um, you know. And so, and, and then, you know, I guess technically Chaz Rowe is on a one-year deal too. So, so there's a handful of guys on this roster that you look at and go, oh, they're here for this year, then what? Um, how many of those guys do you want to add? I know you have a lot of young guys who are on their way up. That certainly doesn't block anybody but it's, it makes it a little more challenging in terms of roster management during the course of the year too. Last year, there was a, you know, a lot of hoops to jump through in terms of COVID and playing a COVID season. And I think fortunately, you know, for the Rays, they never had to go through any stoppages. There were no outbreaks in their clubhouse. 
this year, I think by the hope is at some point in the season, maybe towards the end of the season, that there is some sense of normalcy. But before that happens, before there's more vaccine rollout, they're going to be playing a full, you know, pretty much normal schedule. There's not going to be regionalization like we saw last year. They're going to be going out to the West Coast. How difficult do you think that will be to manage, at least in the early parts of the year? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, we don't know how many of the players already have been vaccinated or, or, or coaches have been vaccinated or, um, you know, they've done a great job of staying in, in their own bubble, so to speak. Um, you know, you think about it, spring training this year and uh, all of last season, there wasn't a single case of COVID impacting the Rays. So they did really, really well. Um, you know, like in Florida, you know, what, April 5th, anyone 18 or over is now eligible for the vaccine. So, you know, I think that certainly will help um, and, and make it easier, you know, I knock on wood and hope that, you know, we're normal a lot sooner than later. I mean, the fact that you can have up to 9,000 fans at a Rays game, and you know, I've seen numbers from anywhere from five to 50,000, depending on what state you're in, in terms of what the crowds are going to be like. So the fact that we're playing with crowds is a positive. I'm hopeful that as the year goes on, the fear of positive tests uh, within a clubhouse continue to drop lower and lower and lower. And I think, you know, we've seen what, is it only 11 out of 30 teams in spring training um, had, a, had someone with a positive test in camp? That's only one out of three. Um, you know, hopefully in season, we're talking about less than one out of three. And I think at least having been through it, there's a better understanding of how to how to prevent it from overrunning your clubhouse, um, you know, but it's certainly got to be thought about, you know, I think, I think this is going to be a weird challenging year in a lot of ways. And certainly that's right near the top of the list of the challenges. What was it like in last year's during last year's season with, with empty ballparks was, what, what was the, the feeling like? Um, you know, I can tell for, for me, you know, we're working home games and, 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 doing the road games off of the monitor, um, as we'll be doing at the start of this year. Um, I think that you didn't notice it once the game started until the big moment. Like you hit a booming home run and the explosion of the crowd, The you know, instead of getting that real vibe, you're getting the pumped in crowd noise. And, it, and that's when I noticed it more and like between pitches and your pitch to pitch, it was the great moments that occurred that you're like, oh, it, it kind of like brought that realization. Yeah, we're not playing in front of crowds. In the playoffs, it was a little easier to just block it out and just, you know, enjoy the game. Um, but in the in the regular season, that was a little more challenging. And and I'm glad they're bringing fans back because I, I think that also will make it a little, well, a lot easier on the players. I mean. I can't imagine. I, I was very worried when they went to a 10 team, you know, you play your 10 teams in your area format because my thought was, and this is a, someone told me, uh, you know, from another staff said, I'm worried about fights because you're going to hear everything in the other dugout that they're saying. <laughs> and even if they don't mean to offend you, they're going to offend you in some way because you're seeing them so often. Um, I think that was part of the stuff between that went on between the Rays and Yankees. Everyone can hear every, everything, see everything, hear everything, anything that the crowd normally knock out. Now you're picking up and, and, and also you're stuck in a, in your hotel room all, all the time. So you're like, you're in, your stress levels are much, much different. So all of that will hopefully change. And I think it hopefully will lead to, you know, to even, you know, a, a better season, um, you know, a, a better play all the way around, all the way through. I still attest if there would have been full crowds, Margot steals home. There's no, that's that split second in the World Series. He, Kershaw just gets that a little bit better, you know, call in from Muncie and uh, robbed us of that moment, I think. You never know. You know, I hadn't thought about it in that regard. I still, I still wonder, you know, I, I, we never really saw a definitive, like, clear he got tagged or he didn't get tagged because I think when a guy tries to do something as daring as that and I applaud the play because it was with two out already and, and you had two chances to knock him in I thought at that moment it was an okay play um you know it was worth the risk he got a terrific jump um you know I I think that um my thought was more you know 
in, in that moment, it's so hard for the cameras because you're not expecting it that it's hard to get a really good camera shot. And that, you know, I think Dave, or it's probably Andy, who's talked more about having base cams, that if we had these little base cams to be able to tell, um, that's kind of the perfect technology that, you know, that I think all of us would like to see um, at some point, or, you know, if you had, you know, just over the foul lines, if you had those cameras to clearly tell, you know, whether a ball went over the pole or not, those are the things I'd love to, you know, if, uh, if I were king kind of moments to add to the game. <laughs> Where do you power rank the moments from the postseason last year in terms of all-time raised moments? Obviously, the Brasso, Game 5, and and Brett Phillips in Game 4. And, you know, the end of Game 7 was – or Game 7 as a whole was great too. Where do you – what do those kind of rank in terms of 2011, 2008, in terms of those moments? Aki stepping on second is probably still number one for me just because it's your first World Series ever. Um Longo's moment is great for the game of baseball because of what it did. If you're looking at Longo or the Ray or, or Brasso for the Rays, I would probably move put Brasso ahead of it for the sole reason that it got you beyond the DS for the first time since the World Series. Um, and then, and then, so then that and winning Game Seven in the ALCS are probably like Longo and that are probably around three. Um, Brett Phillips, as great a moment as it was, and it was probably one of the best moments I've ever seen live in a baseball game. He still didn't win the World Series. It, it nodded up to two in the context of where it happened. And I think everything happens in context. Um, it's probably your a top five all-time moment, but it can't be, it's hard for me to put it above five if you didn't win. If like that led to you winning games five and six, then probably moves way up the charts and it might surpass most of the moments that we're talking about because it was part of a winning World Series. So how could you not? But because it didn't, it's hard to put that up there with the other stuff. We talk about about that that postseason and the team, although there weren't a whole lot of changes, the changes that happened were significant. You lose Charlie mm -hmm. Morton, you lose Blake Snell, and even you know Blake Snell's still a young guy. He was one of the faces of the franchise. He was somewhat of a leader in the clubhouse. Has there been, and I don't want to use the word negative, but has there been any sort of reaction to some of those decisions that were made by the players in spring training? I think by and large, the more negativity I've heard is from outside media, uh, to be frank. <laughs> I mean, I think there's an understanding, you know, was anyone happy? No, I don't think, you know, nobody wanted to see Charlie or Blake go. Um, I think there's probably a different, if, if those home games that the Rays had in the playoffs and there were what, 10 of them were played in front of sellout crowds um, and you had 10 playoff games and all the associated home revenue with that, with sellout crowds, I think probably what happens in the off season is different. Um, and, but, but we didn't, we had a pandemic and there was no revenue sharing and all of that changes everything. So, um, I, I think there's a trust in the front office because of all that they do. You know, I think when, you know, probably people were, you know, I think like when the players get to see the players who were added and they see them for six weeks and they get to know them, they come to the end of spring training, they go, we got a good team. I, I like these guys. I think we're going to win. And I think that is kind of the belief in that clubhouse. There's a lot of talent on the field. Our guys can win. Why not? Um, and, I, you know, yeah, there's some people out there picking the Rays as low as fourth in the division. Just like there's some people who I think are silly picking the Braves not to win their division. Um, you know, uh, we'll, if, if this team is relatively healthy, I think it's going to be a playoff team again. I really do. Yeah, I, I saw one piece written that the last time the Rays went to the World Series, we were in the midst of a global recession. Next time they go to the World Series, it's a global pandemic. And that ha did ha does have like long-term and short-term impacts on, on revenue. Um, outside of the AL East, because there's been a lot of hype about the Blue Jays, and, and rightfully so, they've made some exciting moves. And obviously the Yankees are always going to be projected to be near or at the top of the AL East. But outside of the division... Who do you think poses the biggest threat to, to the Rays who are trying to defend that American League pennant? Well, 
It's hard to say, but you know, before Valdez got hurt, um, I, I really liked the, I, I thought the Astros are really tough. I still think the A's will be good, but I don't know how good in terms of the depth of their pitching. I mean, they've lost some pretty important pieces. You know, Marcus Simeon is a pretty important top of the lineup, good clubhouse guy. Um, the White Sox losing Eloy Jimenez is a pretty big piece um, for a full season. So everyone has suffered some losses. Cleveland has a really good pitching staff, I think, but I don't know how well they're going to hit. You know, I look up and down the American League and I think the Angels are much improved and everyone says, hey, Shohei Otani, you know, now looks like the guy again. But, you know, that's in March, you know, competing for a six-month season is a much, much different story. I think that by and large, you know, the sexy pick will be picking the Yankees as the top deep team. But I tend to believe, like, as good as the Padres and Dodgers are, that if I were stacking up most of the American League, I would say there are more good teams in the American League than there are good teams in the National League. The National League has the great teams. The American League has more good and balanced teams. And, and I think that like the bottom of the American League um, is better than, than the bottom of the National League. Um, you know, I think Boston is better than they were um, a year ago. I think that Detroit and Kansas City are improved. Um, I think Seattle um, is probably better. I don't see any of those teams making the playoffs, but I also don't think that they're going to be easy to deal with by any stretch. Um, and so that's kind of how I look at the American League is there's a lot of teams that are going to beat up each other. And then the AL East, I think the greatest challenge is they face the best division. Yes, it, you know, if you get the unfortunate of facing, let's say, the Dodgers and the Padres 10 times, you know, like one six and one four in your interleague matchups, that's probably not really good. But I think facing the NL East in 20 games is probably just as big a pain in the rear because Atlanta's good, the, the you know, the Mets are good, the, the Phillies are good. Um, everyone's picking the Marlins to be last and they made the postseason, I know, in an expanded field. And obviously the Nationals have a lot of talent too. So those 20 games, you know, I used to say, hey, if you can clean up on some of your interleague matchups, great. But in, in this world, you know, if you go 11 and nine in your interleague games, that's probably really good. Um, where, you know, if you're facing the, if you're the AL Central and you're a top team, maybe you're thinking, hey, we probably can win 13 or 14 games against the NL Central teams. And that's three games that you've gained in the wild card race um, over the teams that you're competing with in the postseason run. And now how do you make those up on the, on the back end? So that's kind of how I'm, 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 you know, it, I think that for all those reasons, it makes for a really intriguing year. Who do you have taking the central and the, and the, you mentioned the twins earlier. We kind of, I feel like the twins always get lost in the shuffle, similar to the Rays because they, they also lost in the off season. They didn't really add too much, but potentially just getting Donaldson healthy is a huge add the having a, a younger pitching staff still coming into its own, like guys in the back and like Randy Dobnik. How do you see that central like shaking out? How do you see that the West shaking out? Is it pretty much Houston over there? And then the central is just that three, three, three team dog race. I think the central is a three team race, but until the twins lose that division right now, I, I probably lean Minnesota's way. Um, I think the question for Cleveland is, can they hit enough? Um, and I'm not still not sold like on the White Sox overall depth mm -hmm. only because like, so now without Jimenez, who's filling that hole? And that's without Adam Eaton, you know, how many games is he going to play in 162 game season? You know, you worry about his health as well. Um, and I'm not also sold that again, they're pitching depth beyond their front five and they have a really good bullpen, but how many of those guys, you know, I, I think the Rays have like 10 or 12 guys who I could say, Hey, he could start 20 games this year. I don't know if I have enough of those guys there. I think, I think Oakland competes with Houston um, this year. I do. I think the angels are going to be better. It can make that, it, they could make it a three team race, 
Um, that's the big question on the angel, on the angels. Are they going to get enough pitching? I think their pitching will be better. They're probably more in that like 82, 83, 84 win type team than they are a 91 club. Um, but I think that's, you know, but that's a pretty good 80 some win team because take a look at, you know, the high end talent and Otani and Trout and Rendon and, uh, Justin Upton is still a good player. I mean, you go on and on, they, they can score runs. Um, and, and they're going to be tough to uh, contend with. And, you know, I think even in, in the American league East, I think, I think Boston will make things interesting for a while. I think their question on them is pitching depth, you know, mm-hmm. Eduardo Rodriguez not playing a year, then he has some dead arm and now he's not pitching opening day. Nathan Avaldi has, you know, not had a full healthy year in a while. Um, Martin Perez has had a tendency to break down. Garrett Richards, the same. You don't know when Chris Sale is coming back and Nick Pavetta's never had a full season. So if, you know, those are six potential starters at some point, who else fills the void um, when there's a need? And, and that's, you know, that's how I look at this, the whole American league is who has pitching, not, not the best pitcher because Garrett Cole could help the Yankees a lot, but beyond that, how deep can you go? So, so on that on that note, the, one of the big things the Rays did by bringing in so many different arms is to have all those guys that could potentially give you 15, 20 starts, maybe give you 100 innings. And we talked about this uh, last week with Adam Barry. This sort of strategy, the Rays seem all in on this. Can you talk a little bit about the idea of maybe just really diversifying that risk and really making sure that you can get through this marathon healthy? Well, I think with the young guys, Patino, McClanahan, Ryan, um, et cetera, they're almost treating April as if it's their spring training instead of March. Mm-hmm. You know, if you looked at their March usage, they were on a starter schedule, but pitched one inning at a time. And I think April is going to be building up to two, to three, to four, to five, to six. Um, and then pitching them at five or six innings in games, maybe, you know, in, in May, and then, hey, are they ready yet? Do we feel they can help us? Is there a need? Okay, great. You know, we have an injury to so-and-so. We'll slot this guy in. Um, you know, I'm, you know they, they may, you know, who knows whether as we record this, we don't know if Josh Fleming's going to be on the club. Is he going to be the starter who's stretched out to pitch? Um, or is he going to open up the season in the bullpen? Or do they keep him as insurance? Um, And then how many of those guys, you know, three, four, five guys get stretched out at some point, hopefully near the middle of the season, Brendan McKay gets himself stretched out to be able to help out. You know, we'll see, we talked at the top of the podcast to Brad Honeywell and, and how he is, is utilized, but it's almost like they could have a first half group that starts and then a second half group that starts. And maybe some of the starters end up in the bullpen and being multi-inning roles or even pitching the back end of the bullpen and that's a way to curtail their innings too, you know, like, oh, we'll shorten him up and he'll be a one or two inning guy in the second half of the season after starting in the first half. And, you know, that way he gives us 20 starts at six innings and maybe another 20 innings out of the bullpen in the final couple months. You know, who knows? I, I, I'm just throwing out there as an idea. That's a way to get 140, 150 innings out of somebody um, without overusing them and, and giving your team maybe the best chance to win. One more prospect that I have to ask about because he's a Florida State guy, uh, Taylor Walls. We've heard some some great stuff about him defensively. From what you've been able to see, I mean, we I've even heard the term thrown around, uh, infield Kiermaier. Like, is there is there any truth to that from what from what you've seen? Um, he's gifted. He really is. And there's, you know, you talk around the system and guys love him. Um, and he's a winner. Um, you know. He won at Florida State. You look at every level of the minors, it's kind of like Willie Adamas. He wins everywhere he goes. Um, And look, the Rays have had a really good minor league system now, so they're winning at every level uh, for the most part, regardless of who's on their team. But I think he's, you know, he's a a really good fit. He he switch hits. He runs well. He's becoming a much better hitter. Um, You know, I, I expect him to help this team at some point this year. Um, I don't know what to what degree. Um, and I honestly feel that the Rays believe he's an everyday player. 
Is he an everyday player at one spot or is he moving around to play second, short or third on a regular basis? I don't know, but I think he's going to get a chance, assuming he hits well at the alternate site to at some point help this team on a, on a regular basis, you know, whether he's starting five or six times a week, who knows, but I think he's going to play a lot. And I look to the whole overall future of this franchise and boy, it would be awesome if all the switch hitters um, are able to come through because you could have Walls, Franco, Edwards, Jones, and Bruhan on the field at one time. Good luck to the team that has to try and match up their bullpen on a team with five switch hitters that could potentially be in the lineup at one point. All athletic, all fast twitch, all fairly contact-oriented with some pop, some speed, some line drive ability, um, and, and all having played some shortstop, you know, like that would be pretty cool. I, I mean, that's perfect world. And I don't know if that'll happen, but, um, it's, it's a special group in terms of the talent. Taylor is certainly one of them. Yeah. Greg Jones hit his first home run the other day too. He's, he's getting some pop on his bat. Yeah. I mean, the ball he hit off, uh, Matzik, I mean, I was, it was pretty nice just for him, just because people forget he didn't even get to play. This was his first, supposed to be his first full season last year, and he didn't get to play a single game. And that's, I, I can't imagine how difficult that is for, you know, you come out of the draft in 2019 and you're planning on, hey, I'm getting ready for my first year, and then a pandemic happens. Um, and you've lost a year, you know, and you've got to make the most of it. And any positive moments he has in spring training, I think hopefully will carry on to his regular season whenever that begins. You mentioned Wander. So we have to, we have to bring up <laughs> the, I feel like it just, if anything Rays related, you have to bring up Wander at some point. Uh, we got to see a lot of him this spring and mm -hmm. he looks not, he, he looks so polished and so good for somebody who has never played a single game of double a or beyond uh he's going to start the season he, he was sent to, so he's going to start the season in the minors we're we're probably going to see him this year right i would think so but obviously he's got to perform right you know I, you know i i think you know everyone was asking me when there was supposed to be a triple a season starting april 1st do you think they put him in triple a because there's not going to be games in double A until May 1st. So how could you sit him down for another month and not have him playing games when he didn't play in games last year? And that question won't have to be answered um, because double and triple A are supposed to now start at the same time. Um, I think it's going to be up to him and how he performs. Um, you know, and, and I, it's hard for me to judge a small sample size of games in spring training when guys are getting one at bat a day, maybe two at bats, um, and they're not, you know, he's used to playing regularly. How's his body going to hold up after not playing for a full season? That's the other thing. Like everyone talks about the pitchers and managing innings, but can you play 120 games in a five month period? Or do you, are you going to break down physically? We don't know that, you know, because you now he looks like he'll never break down physically. He looks like an extremely physically strong, mature 20 year old, but you know, you just don't know. So I, you know, I, I certainly, I, I think if he earns the chance, he'll get the chance. But, you know, I think when you haven't played games in a year and this goes for every player across minor league baseball to predict what they're going to do now is really, really hard to do. W one other thing we, we talked about Wander cause that's the next guy, but we, we can't end yet without also talking about, Randy, who took the league by storm in the postseason, uh, just in terms of just in general, the 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 power, the 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 body, the physicality. How has he looked in spring? Again, results, springs results don't matter. Um, you could just end an inning at any point. These, these are not really. It's the games themselves don't really matter. But just in terms of him getting back to speed, does he still look like the guy that we saw come October? I think so. I mean, you know, he really didn't hit a lot of home runs in the spring last year, um, but he made a lot of solid contact and he's done the same this year. Um, I think people told me before he went to the big leagues last year, he hit like zero homers at the alternate side. He was hitting everything hard, 
Um, maybe it was one or two, I don't know, but he wasn't hitting a lot of home runs there either, which made the power more surprising. But yeah, I mean, you, you watch his batting practice and the ball comes off, you know, loud. Um, you know, they had him miss a few days because he overworks himself. Um, and his left wrist was a little bit sore. So, you know, guys are going to go through some aches and pains and I'm kind of curious, you know, nobody, once you start spring training after the first week, I think everybody's dealing with something. We just don't know to what severity they're dealing with it and how they deal with it. And when guys feel really, really good, usually performance goes up. When guys are not feeling so great, some end up on the injured list and some play right through it and try and figure it out. Um, and I'm since we've only seen him for two months and everything went really, really well, I want to see what happens when things don't go as well. Um, you know, I, I think that's really the true test of any really good player. And I think he's going to be a really good player. I think he'll handle it fine, but I want to see it almost for myself just because we haven't seen it. He's been awesome every step of the way, pretty much. Neil, as we wrap this one up, how good is it going to feel next Thursday when we have an April opening day into what we hope is a somewhat normal baseball season? I think that will feel great. I think probably better will be April 9th when the Rays open up at home. Um, and the only reason I say that is because you are raising a banner. You did win an American League championship and you're going to be able to do it in front of fans. And, and still for with, with us not traveling, I'm going to enjoy opening day but it's still going to be opening day off a monitor and it's still going to feel a little bit weird and different. Um, once it starts, once the game begins, it'll probably feel normal and there will be a same excitement in my gut on opening day. Um, but probably the home opener will add a special personal personally. It'll probably feel like cool waking up that morning and going, Oh, we have a home game. It's in, it's in front of, people and and the sounds that I you know that I most of which we missed over the last year are going to be all back um, to some degree and you know that that to me will be much more special and, and at least with the games against the Marlins and the Red Sox we're going to hear fans in the stands again um, you know I think that that will help a lot just in in you know getting us back to that kind of normal sense of and you know, we got through the year and now we're here for another year, and hopefully this is an awesome season. Well, Neil, thank you so much for your time, and good luck this season. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Once again, just want to thank Neil Solons for his time today, as well as the other guests that we've had on recently, Eric Neander and Adam Barry, for the unique and valuable perspective that they've provided on this 2021 Rays team. It's going to be an exciting season. Last year, we had a ton of fun doing Raise Your Voice and the hit show throughout the entire regular season. And then the D-Raise Bay podcast special instant reaction shows that we did after each and every one of the Rays postseason games. Hopefully, we get to do that again this October. Um, but yeah, in terms of programming, we're going to get try to get back on more of a normal schedule as the season kicks off. We'll have Raise Your Voice every week previewing that week's games and then obviously recapping uh, the previous week's games. We'll also have more of the hit show hosted by Danny Russell and Darby Robinson and whoever else they have on as a special guest where they can kind of rant on the happenings uh, of Rays baseball. And then we'll also still have Who's on Worst hosted by Ashley McLennan and Darby Robinson where we review um, some truly bad baseball movies. Well, I shouldn't say that. Some of the movies we've, we've reviewed on there haven't been all bad. Fever Pitch and then the one we'll have dropping later this week, Rookie of the Year. We quite enjoyed those. Hopefully we can enjoy some more because there has been some some garbage that we've reviewed in recent episodes. I don't expect those to be coming out as frequently as they have the last couple months, uh, purely because when the regular season is going on, we're all doing a lot of stuff. We're watching baseball, as baseball fans do, when we're uh, producing content for, for D-Race Bay and for SB Nation. So maybe expect every other week for Who's on Worst, maybe a couple of times a month. We're going to kind of see uh, what our schedules look like as the season gets underway. But if you haven't checked one of those out, uh, I, I highly recommend you do, even if you hate the movies that we've reviewed, because uh, listening and, and, and talking through these episodes has kind of been a, a very therapeutic exercise after sitting through two hours of a bad movie. So highly recommend that if you haven't checked that out already. 
thank you guys for listening today and for these these this three episode series that we've put together leading up to opening day. As always, make sure to head on over to DRaysBay.com. Coverage is really ramping up as the season gets closer to being underway. And I know Thursday, opening day, there's going to be a ton of stuff on the site. You're not going to want to miss it. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you later this week. Thank you.